Thank you, Wags. All right, it's only an hour. It's going to be less than an hour today with myself and Jordan. Jordan, did you get to watch uh, any of the Texas-Houston game last night? No, that's why I was kind of happy y'all were talking about it. I didn't watch like a single minute. Um, yeah. I was just, man, I, I don't know. You know I, I see. I, I look at ESPN the app and I see number four Houston. I'm like, all right, <laughs> all right. I won't be watching that. So, but I did see it was close with like ten minutes left, and I'm like, I doubt they end up winning this. I bet they, <laughs> the final score ends up like what it is now when they're down by four or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't watch at all. So. It's a shame that Tyrese Hunter last night, you know, he only took four shots. Uh, they didn't really need him on offense. I mean, between Ace missing so much goes through to Sue, uh, Dylan Mitchell, Dylan Mitchell took 13 shots. That might be a career high for him. I gotta go back and look at that. But Tyrese Hunter, Jordan, five assists, only one turnover. It just sucked that the one turnover he had was at the point in the game where you couldn't turn the ball over with less than 30 seconds on the clock, and you've got the potential. I think if Texas made a shot late in the clock, Houston would have probably had about eight, nine seconds, something like that left to try to go down and get something. But that needed to be a possession where you took care of the ball, you really set something up, and for Tyrese Hunter to just rush it. And experience, as experienced as he is, to just get in a hurry and, you know, pick up his dribble and get caught in no man's land in midair. That's yeah. Ricardo, Ricardo's right. It was an ugly turnover and it sucks. Cause other than that, I thought defensively and the way he distributed the ball, I thought Tyrese Hunter was really good. I thought Max Acemus as a distributor in the second half, you know, Max Acemus had five assists last night. I thought he was really good. Uh, but Dylan Mitchell, Dylan Mitchell, Jordan, I don't know if you got any opinions on Dylan Mitchell, even though, you know, I, I went and ran down some of his numbers one of our shows last week. He's averaging damn near a double-double for the year. 16 points, 10 rebounds in 33 minutes last night. I'm now wondering, like, you know, I, I wonder what he would test at, like, the NBA Combine, like how he would test, like, you know, vertical jump and all that stuff. Is Dylan Mitchell athletic? I, I feel like his role in the NBA – would be as like, you know, an off-the-bench energy combo for that just messes stuff up, just goes in there. And, you know, you don't need Dylan Mitchell to play 35 minutes a night in the NBA. Just give him, like, you know, 20 minutes a game where all he's doing is he's crashing the boards. Uh, if you surround him with shooters, he can be – I don't know if he can be a small ball five. I don't know if he – I think he's maybe a little too slight a frame for that, but – you know, he could be a guy that's a rim runner, uh, a guy that can catch a lob in the half court and be a dude that can rebound. And he's shown the ability, at least better ability, a better ability this year to protect the rim. I'm starting to I'm starting to kind of see where Dylan Mitchell's NBA future is, even though I think at this point he'd be really well served coming back to Texas, I think, for another year and just improve his stock a little bit more. Unless he wants to, you know, develop in the G League, which, hey, you're more than welcome to do that and get paid. But I, I would like to see Dylan Mitchell, what he looks like at this point next year after another summer and another offseason at Texas and and going in and, you know, what he looks like midway through year three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about all the turnover stuff because, again, I didn't watch it. But yeah. – uh, it sounds like Dylan Mitchell, it seems like maybe you're looking uh, pr to project maybe a little Jackson Hayes career, it seems kind of like. I, I don't watch a ton of NBA, but I assume Hayes is coming off the bench now. And yeah, I know yeah. in college, he kind of, I mean, obviously, 
with the with the player he was at the college level, he was a star or whatnot. But yeah, the type of type of guy you describe seems similar kind of player profile. He's with the Lakers now, and uh, I went to the uh, when I was at the Lakers Pelicans game in New Orleans on New Year's Eve. Pretty much Jackson Hayes, the only time he gets in the game is when Anthony Davis kind of looks over at Darvin Ham and just kind of taps out. And it's like, all right, Jackson Hayes, get your warm-up off, get in the game. So yeah, that's uh that's pretty much when Jackson that's pretty much Jackson Hayes' role now. But I you know, from, from that standpoint, Jackson Hayes is like the perfect uh he's the perfect modern day center in the NBA. He can give you a little bit of defense, he can protect the rim, but you don't need him to shoot. Just if he's surrounded with shooters, just let him be a guy who can catch a lob or whatever, you know, get a get a put back. Uh, yeah. Don't need him to be too too terribly skilled. CB with an interesting one tomorrow night. It's Greg Brown against Serge Barry Rice in Austin for the Austin. At what the Cedar Park Center? That'd be the HEB Center, sir. <laughs> whatever you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the uh, home of like every North Austin school's graduation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I did see the the Darvin Ham videos on Twitter. I'm on NBA Twitter; it shows up in my feed or my algorithm. So, like, I'll I'll see the funniest stuff in the NBA every night. So, I, I did see what CB is talking about, but I don't know. And this this might be a casual take, or it is. It's not might be. It is a casual take, just because again, I'm not watching a ton of the Longhorns basketball, but. The type of vibes I get when I do watch them and like how they're losing these games and the way the just the way they're playing in these games kind of feels like Tom Herman, Texas, where it's like (laughs) they're not going to get blown out. They're going to play their ass off, but like they're going to lose. They're going to lose in an ugly way. And it's like you have talent, but it's like the puzzle pieces like don't fit together or something. Or it's like, you know, the old games, whatever you play as a kid, where it's like, trying to put the circle in the circle or the square in the square. It's like the square is trying to go in the circle and it's like, why isn't it working? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it feels kind of yeah. just like Tom Herman-esque of his era, but the basketball version. I, I mean, it's just, I, I understood, I understood the direction when they put this roster together. I understood what they were trying to do. I got it, right? Like the pieces that, that they were putting together. But it's almost like, it's almost like you've gotten pretty much the worst ver- of like all the guys that you, some of the guys you added with the exception of Dylan Mitchell, like you've almost gotten the worst version of everybody else on this team. And, and with Dylan to it's been because of foul trouble. Like if he could just stay on the floor, Caden Cedric is, is just, he's now he's got the, he had the, you know, the shoulders and now he's got the back issue. So his has been health too. Um, you know, Tyrese Hunter, I, I don't know if you could say Tyrese is, has regressed as much as it's just it seems like it's harder for him to figure out kind of what he is playing with Max Aismas. I think it was so much easier to play with Marcus Carr for him because he and Marcus Carr were Tyrese doesn't shoot it as well as Marcus, but for, other than that, they were pretty much the same guy. Both guys can get down and guard on defense when they want to. Uh, I think I felt like they pushed each other. Both guys can play off the ball. They can play on the ball. And I just thought the mix worked really well together. And then you throw Rice in there. The guard mix on last year's team was just, I mean, it was it was exactly, you couldn't ask for a better guard mix in college basketball than what Texas had last year. So it seems like Tyrese just struggled to really find his place, kind of figure out his role. You know, Max Aismas, he's, he's gotten better on defense, but he's never going to be like a, 
a lockdown defender. He's he's got his liability. He's a liability at sometimes on that end of the floor. I think he is what he is. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, man, like and Ithiel Horton has that that move just hadn't worked. I mean, they recruited him to be uh to be a gunner, to be a shooter and help spread the floor. He hadn't been that guy. Uh, I think they were kind of hoping Tyrese would turn into Marcus Carr in terms of his ability to shoot the ball. That hasn't really happened. So, yeah, you're right, Jordan. It's just that there, there's talent there, but it just hasn't meshed well like I think they like I think they hoped it would. So, yeah, yeah. And with, if if you get into a game, and we've seen this with you know if Dassou is in foul trouble. And Shedrick is banged up and is less than a hundred percent. Forget being small ball five. Dylan Mitchell's pretty much the only option you have to be a post defender at that point and to be a rim protector. Uh, because it's it's not really last night was one of those games where we were talking about on the board in the game thread. Like that was a game where you might have wanted to throw Zarek and Yemma out there a little bit more, just in terms of a veteran guy who's more of a a banger, uh, just let him go in there and use up some fouls. You know, that might have been a night last night where you let Brock Cunningham, you know, bang down low with Roberts and and Francis and those guys and let him use up some fouls. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. So, but I, I said this, man, if you get that kind of, if you get that kind of effort from Texas, just the effort, if you get that kind of effort over 40 minutes the rest of the way, this team's going to be an NCAA tournament team. Yeah. Hey, man, you know, Texas is a, uh the king of getting into the first round and losing to a team they shouldn't lose to. So the way the season is going, it seems like they're going to be one of the lower seeds. So maybe they can do some uh, season ruining. Uh, I was looking yesterday at at the uh, bracketological prognostication. Shout out to my former co-host, Craig Way, uh, for coining that term. But I was looking at Jerry Palm, Jordan, our partner over at CBS, uh, Jerry had Texas as one of the last four in last night. Basically, uh, the last four in, he's got Texas. He had Texas uh, at the top of that list with Texas, Nevada, Virginia Tech, and Michigan State. Uh, I think Lenardi also had Texas as one of the last four in before last night's game. And actually, let me check. Lenardi might have updated his this morning. Yes, Joe Lenardi updated his. Let me see. Lenardi has Texas right now as one of the last four buys. So he's got Texas even off of that bubble for being one of the last four in. So the reason why Texas, I think, is in a better position than a lot of people think is because their net ranking is starting to go up. Their Ken Palm rating is starting to go up because pretty much you're you're playing quadrant one games the rest of the way. I mean, you're, you're playing either ranked teams or their, or their quad one teams, probably with the exception of Oklahoma State. Uh, but man, dude, Jordan, this schedule has been brutal and it doesn't get any easier because, you know, next up you're going to go on the road and play TCU. And then I think after that, I'll pull up the schedule, but I think after that you come back and play Iowa state at home. So let me, let me double check. I think that's what the schedule is. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh, you play TCU. And you're at TCU on Saturday, and then you come back a week from tonight. Uh, Iowa State, the 12th ranked team in the country, coming to town. And then, you, you know, 
the games where Texas really needs to win, obviously you'd maybe you'd like to split the next two, but then like West Virginia at home, Kansas State at home, Oklahoma State at home, Oklahoma at home, those are games you need to win. You've got to you've got to pretty much win your home games the rest of the way. That's I mean yeah. that's the bottom line what you got to do, and then try to figure out where you can steal a couple of road wins. Can you go to Lubbock and beat Tech and split the series? You just I always look at it. We'll get and we'll get to football here in a second. But I always look at it if you're going to have a successful conference season, wherever you need to get to, right? If you're trying to get to a conference championship, trying to win a conference championship, or you're trying to be on the right side of the bubble, you got to look at it in terms of, and this was really easy to do in the old Big 12 up through last year. You got to look at it in terms of splits and sweeps, kind of those teams in the upper echelon of the conference, like a Kansas, a Baylor, somebody like that, split those games. Uh, The teams at the bottom of the conference, whether it was Oklahoma State, West Virginia, you got to get those sweeps. Uh, now you're looking at, can you split with Tech? You know, you've already taken one from Baylor. Can you sweep Oklahoma now? Can you sweep Baylor? Uh, can you avoid getting swept by West Virginia and uh, get that one? So I'm back to that time of year. Anybody that followed me on Light the Tower heard me talk basketball. Anytime we get close to March, that's how I always look at it, man. Splits and sweeps. Avoid split. Avoid sweeps. Get some sweeps. Splits aren't bad, uh, especially if you lost to a lesser opponent the first time around. All right. To get to some football, Jordan, Kenny Baker is officially the defensive line coach at Texas. I feel like Texas takes forever to make these things official. I don't know why, but like the John, Johnny Nansen was on the road for like a week before, like, oh yeah, we hired Johnny Nansen as our linebackers coach. Like, yeah, we pretty much kind of figured that out, but I digress. I don't know what the deal is over there on the 40 with the clerical stuff. Um, I do want to talk about defensive tackle in 2025, interior defensive line, because we know if Texas adds somebody before the start of the 24 season, it's going to be a portal guy. Before we talk about 25, though, let me ask you this. It it would have been tough for Texas to go back in on Alex Foster because that was a Bo Davis thing. So it wasn't so much Texas. I don't know if you could say Texas backed off on Alex Foster as much as it was the guy that was recruiting him left. So you naturally just kind of back off and you didn't, you, you took your time hiring a replacement, which is what you needed to do. You wish Texas would have taken a second look at Alex Foster or maybe might try here to get it, to get back in with Alex Foster. Or you think, Hey, just cut your losses with 24 and move on to 25. Um. Well, I mean, look, at the time I thought it was the right move to kind of cut ties and move on. Um, the way things are trending was uh, they, you know, they kind of told him like, hey, we like you, but if this Dominic McKinley guy commits, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're going to be done talking. Um, I think that could have hurt them. You know, kids take that different ways. Uh, families take that different ways. I think that might have done it, but, you know, if it didn't, uh, Bo Davis for sure, him leaving definitely just yeah. not no shot there. Uh. To be honest, like before DeAndre Robinson got out of his letter of intent, I was like, you know, why is what is Texas doing here with Foster? Like Foster, a lot of different sites had different rankings of him, right? Mm-hmm. I think on three had him finish as like one of the top players. Uh, they had him in their their national rankings. I know that. I'm trying to pull it up right now. They had him as a number 152 player. We had him as an 89-3, which had him as a 42nd best D line. Uh, 13th Mississippi, 
ESPN has them as 142nd D-line, 31st of Mississippi. That's crazy low. And Rivals doesn't even have them ranked just as a three. So so on, just for the record, like on three, on three is the outlier there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and with Foster, I mean, look, uh, developmental upside through the roof, but Dude, you, you got to get a lot out of these kids. Um, and could Bo Davis do it? Yeah. Like, he, he's proven he could do that uh, with less, actually. But, you know, Bo Davis isn't there anymore. So, you don't know what you're going to get out of him. Also, the main guy that's been talking to him 99% of the time is gone. So, it's going to be pretty hard to make that up. Yeah. But, you know, once they lost Deontay Robinson, it's like, well, shit, dude. They're only taking two bodies a cycle. You know, anything more would be better. But... You know, again, there's nothing you can really do at this point. So, but I mean, if they're to add them, I'd be like, dope, I like it. But, you know, if not, um, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Alex Foster isn't going to change a program. Um, He's not a a five-star top guy, game-changing type guy. So his impact, if they were to add him, uh, would be absolutely nothing for year one. Um, It's not like he's going to be a guy who can contribute year one. So right. really adding him would just, I guess, be doing damage control for whatever other freshman you'd have to play in rotational snaps or whatever. You know what I mean? Giving them more yeah. depth. I think but, at, but I, yeah, I think but, at this point, too, the scholars, the scholarship number itself, just having that extra scholarship probably outweighs another. I think this is, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Jordan, but it sounds like this is where you're going with it. You, it's, you got too, you've already got too many developmental guys in that defensive tackle room as it is. Like, you want to go ahead and add another one? Like you need, you need a guy who's more ready right now. And I don't think that's a knock on Alex Foster saying he can't get there, but you need a guy who's going to be able to maybe give you something year one. And Alex Foster won't be ready to give you something year one. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, uh, the reason that he's unsigned right now is because he's moving in in June. He's going to be a June enrollee as well. Yeah. So, like that, that would have been kind of impossible. Um, and, and, it, and it was let, it wasn't really like the other oh, taking too many developmental guys on the D line. It was just that like for the amount of work that they would have to do to be able to pull this off, let's, to, let's yeah. say to sign Alex Foster next month, like it does not equate to the type of prospect and player he is. Right. The amount of work that would have to be done. So, right. Um, so yeah, but. I don't know. You know, I, I, unless they truly pull a feather out of their ass with Terry Bussey, like, in 2024, is done. Um, I want to ask you about one more guy, though, because I, I only watched him on TV. You saw him up close. Mm-hmm. But if you look at that district that Duncanville is in, and Colin Simmons is in that district. Alex January was voted by the coaches in that district as that district's defensive player of the year. And I'm intrigued by a guy that's a spring enrollee. And let's be honest, man. I mean, who does he have to pass on the depth chart to to be like the number four guy in the rotation? You got to pass Aaron Bryant and Zach Swanson. I mean, I don't think that's crazy to expect that. I mean, if I project Alex January to give Texas something year one, am I crazy? Uh, I don't know. Like, to be honest, and Zach Swanson and Aaron Bryant just do not play at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I really don't know how good they are right now. So, yeah. but I, I don't think it's too crazy. Look, here's the thing with Alex January, and this isn't a knock on Colin Simmons, but Colin Simmons takes a lot of plays off, at least at the high school level. He takes a lot of plays off. Um, 
Dude, I, I probably saw Colin Simmons in in his three year varsity career. I probably saw him play like at least like at least a dozen games for sure. Mm-hmm. Probably around fifteen total. And I'd say probably shit, I don't know. Seventy five percent of those games, I would walk away and be like, Colin Simmons is clearly the better prospect. There's a reason he has all this other stuff that Alex doesn't. But Alex has outperformed him, like, again, 75% of the time I've seen both of those guys. Because yeah. Colin, again, he takes he takes plays off. Uh, and he, yeah. The lack of effort is it bad compared to, to Alex. He's not, he's not the first. He's not the first and won't be the last. Exactly. Like, Colin, and not going to be the first in the gym, won't be the last. Uh, Alex January, on the other hand, uh, he's always been kind of – He's hanging out in the shadows behind the other guys at Duncanville. And not that that's a knock on him, but that's just how he is. He's really shy. Uh, he's not active on social media, like, at all. Um, and he's very quiet. Um, see a leader of the of this year's Duncanville team in the last year and the year before? Yeah. I mean, he, he's been making impact since his, his sophomore year. But he's not vocal. He's not loud like Colin. He's just, I'm going to make a play and then get up and line back up. That's it. Yeah. So, and, I, man, I, I've said this behind closed doors off the record. I've said it on the record. Even with Deontay Robinson in the class, like, it's Deontay Robinson, Melvin Hills, and Alex January is in another tier. I, I've always thought he's the best prospect of those three. Well, now there's two of them. Uh, I've always thought he's the highest ceiling and the highest floor and is going to be the most ready to play of the three as well. So, and also – um you know, anytime you can get a kid whose daddy played D-line at the same school, yeah. um, you know, that that's a plus as well, having that in the bloodline. So, man, I, I've always been an Alex January fan. Um, and, I mean, yeah, like, I, I don't think it's crazy at all if he was to play more than four games as a freshman because, to be honest, Texas, they might need those snaps. They might need that from him. Um, and, if, and if they're going to pull it from him or Melvin Hills, I personally would feel much better about January getting those snaps and not Melvin. So yeah, um, there with Jan, from what you told me and you know I know Mike Roach is kind of dialed into what's going on at Duncanville and a lot of people that I know that are around that Duncanville program. <clears throat> different body types, different skill sets, but in terms of personality, there's kind of a Byron Murphy vibe with uh, with Alex January because uh, when you're part of that Duncanville team, you don't need to be the guy that's. There's plenty of guys that are going to be. Talk, they're going to talk noise and be boisterous and be out front and, you know, make sure that, you know, their their swagger is out front and center. Yeah. You can kind of hang back. And Byron was like that at DeSoto. Like you look at the DeSoto team Byron played on, like he didn't need to say a whole lot. It just They just didn't need him to do that. Uh, yeah, it, Byron, I, I don't think he has the, like, you look at, like, you look at Byron Murphy, he's pissed off at you, like, just because you look at him. Alex January isn't on that type of timing. Uh, he's definitely shyer, but yeah, definitely get what you're saying. Uh, he's more in the back. He's quieter. And Gabe Brooks and I always have this conversation. We start talking about Colin Simmons or Duncanville or whatnot. But, like, dude, Gabe saw those DeSoto teams with Byron Murphy and Shamar Turner, who was a five-star, all yeah. the time. In each game, he's like, look, Shamar looks pretty and looks like a million bucks, but Byron's the one who actually is making all the plays and is a better high school player. But, you know, we got to have Shamar higher because he's a better prospect, has all this. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with 
with the Duncanville. It's, a, it's the same type of vibe where it's like we know why this guy's ranked higher. The other guys were playing way better and is way more consistent and everything. So yeah. um, I, I'm happy that Alex January got uh, D-line of the year or, or whatnot for the District of Doom because, I mean, like, it's not even close who is deserving of it more, him or Colin. Colin also did miss, like, two or three games, I believe. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so – you know, from that standpoint, when to to hear you kind of compare those two guys, and we'll, we won't see Alex January and uh, Byron Murphy playing the same defensive line, but it really it, different type. But really, like watching, seeing Hassan Ridgeway and Malcolm Brown next to each other, like you take a look at Malcolm Brown, you're like, all right, if I ever go into a dark alley and need to bring somebody with me to to fight, I'm bringing I'm bringing Malcolm Brown with me. Where Hassan really is kind of shy, doesn't say a whole lot. Dude, when he when he flips the switch, it's that cat can I mean there's a reason why Hassan Ridgeway's still making money in the National Football League. Like when the when the switch flips, it's he's he's a dude. And hopefully that's the case for Alex January. I know I'm not expecting him to come in and like battle Vernon Broughton and Alfred Collins for reps, but Man, if he gets to the point, Jordan, where like I, I always say the OU game because it's usually right around midseason, and you know by that point you've got a pretty good idea of what your roster is. If after the OU game you're looking at saying Alex January, yeah, he's giving you you know ten to twelve quality snaps a game, or you're saying, man, he's been really good. He might need more snaps. He might need more than the five to seven snaps a game you're giving him. Um, I think that's a pretty fair expectation. For him, I don't think I don't think that's too crazy. Unless the other good thing that could come of that, if he's if he pushes Aaron Bryant, Zach Swanson, Jare Bledsoe, that that trio that I keep talking about, if he pushes those guys to raise their level of play, and one of those guys ends up emerging, or how two of those guys end up emerging as like legit rotational guys, then Alex January did his part to make your defensive line room better as a freshman. Yep. Um, I don't think I've ever said this, but. If you look at the the Texas 2024 class outside, well, I'm not going to count the guys in the top 247 for this. The guys outside of the top 247 guys, and you had asked me, like, who do you think is the safest bet to pan out and have a good college career? It would be Alex January, for sure. Like, I wasn't wild uh, about the take originally and other stuff, but as I got to see him more as a senior and see him progress and really like kind of dive into him, um, I, I think that's a really, really safe bet. Um, Would you like I, I also, guys I, that are outside of the top 247, Jordan? Uh, no, I'm looking at it right now. Confirm. Okay. Okay. Um, just just but, for everybody listening right now, just run them down real quick in the class. Guys outside of the top 247, uh, Z, uh, Zena is the last guy in there at 243. Trey Owens, Jordan Washington, Ty Anthony Smith, Daniel Cruz, Freddie DuBose, Jordan Johnson Rubel, Christian Clark, Parker Livingstone, and Alex January. They also got Santana Wilson, Nate Kibble, uh, Melvin Hills, and you know Michael Kern, punters for people too. So that that's your list. Yeah, um, but I don't know. I, I just I like him. I also think uh, you know nowadays with with the portal and NIL, it's important that. So it's important that you get kids that you know you're never going to have to worry about. Um, yeah. Alex January is one of those kids you will never have to worry about potentially leaving, you know, threatening to leave or off the field stuff. You will never have to worry about that with Alex January. 
I can't say that about everyone else in the class. Um, and in fact, like there are few kids that whenever they're signing, they're going in. Like I can talk about them like I just did with Alex January, where I'm mm-hmm. like, you will never have to worry here. Uh, Daniel Cruz is another one. Um, like kids like that. It's a backbone of your program and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm big on Alex January and, you know, I'm really uh, thinking, I, I think he'll be an impact player at Texas for sure. I'm excited about Daniel Cruz for the same reason that I'm still bullish on Cole Hudson. Jake Majors has been a really good option at center. Like Jake Majors has turned into a solid, productive college center. Is Jake Majors an NFL prospect? No. Does that mean Jake Majors is a bad center? Absolutely not. He's he's a, a steady hand, uh, which is I, I do you know that's probably the best you can hope for for centers. You, would you love Creed Humphrey? Absolutely, but you know what? There's only a handful of guys like Creed Humphrey. But I'm excited about Daniel Cruz and and potentially Cole Hudson. Can Kyle Flood, <clears throat> excuse me, find him a center that can really really, you know move people off the ball. That's a really tough ask for centers, but I feel like Daniel Cruz and Cole Hudson are probably more the body type Kyle Flood wants for a center. Uh, where Jake Majors was leaner and had to get up to, what is Jake now, three in the, you know, 309, 310, whatever Jake is. But Cole Hudson and Daniel Cruz are already starting those guys out there, especially with Cruz where you're not going to need Cruz to play this year. You can spend the entire spring, summer, fall just getting Daniel Cruz ready to compete for the center job in 2025. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, I mean, y'all know by now, but Daniel Cruz is only ever going to play center the rest of his football career. Um, He just really smart, uh, quick thinking kid, like pretty witty. Um, (laughs) Wore the I'm horny shirt at the, at the pool party. That was fun. Uh, But awesome kid. Daniel Cruz is one of my favorites as well. Um, but he's who you want, man. Uh, you know, obviously the quarterback gets all the attention, but the center is the one who's got to diagnose everything, you know, pre-snap and before it happens and relate to the quarterback, whatnot. Daniel's awesome for that. Um, and he is a great center build. I mean, he looks like a fire hydrant with an Afro, <laughs> um, but I, I love his build. Uh, he's been awesome in every camp setting as well. Uh, and, and really in every setting that he's ever been shown at. I know people are going to be like, well, why is he a three-star? Um, centers don't really get drafted, especially ones with his measurables. But, uh, you know, our scouting team at 24-7 still likes him, and they think he's going to be a great college player with the with the potential to get drafted. So, um, you know, I think so too. And, you know, I think we're really going to have a big competition next year uh, with him and, you know, whomever, Cole Hudson, uh, Connor Robertson maybe, you know, for that center spot. But – you know, if I get word from a source in, you know, spring of next year that it's looking already like, you know, uh, Daniel's going to get it over Connor Robertson or Cole Hudson, then I'd be like, all right, you know, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Um, you know, he was Kyle Flood's number one center target, and he got him. So, yeah, I'm just going down looking at uh... – you know, you know the kind of centers that go in round one. The twenty eighteen, you had two, but uh, Frank Ragno out of Arkansas was one of those guys. I There's, think I know Mitch Morse. I think went second round. 
Uh, let me see. He's from St. Michael's. My stepbrother yeah. actually played with him. Uh, trying to look. Tyler Linderbaum was a first round center. Uh, what year would Mitch Morse have been? Would that have been like 18, maybe? 17? Mm-hmm. He got drafted by the uh, Chiefs. Yeah, let me look at that. I'm just going to pull up Mitch Morse's Wikipedia page. Mitch Morse was a, yep, second round pick. Uh, but yeah, that you know, unless you're unless you're like one of those guys, like like one of those elite dudes, like you're you're not taking centers in the first round. What's interesting though is you mentioned Daniel Cruz, the, the smarts. You know, Lyle Senline in my in my lifetime following the program, probably the best center Texas has had. And people are like, oh well, yeah, Lyle's tough, and yeah, he's tough as hell. Like it, it played you know a lengthy career in the NFL. As a center, as an undrafted free agent, but what made Lyle Sinline so good outside of his toughness, dude? When your dad plays in the NFL and your older brother was good enough to play at Texas, like there's just something innate about you in terms of your football IQ that other guys just don't have. They just you just see the game. You come up seeing the game a different way than other people do. Like you know, we're gonna record the Longhorn Blitz podcast here at about one o'clock this afternoon. I will never be able to see the game the way Rod Babers does. Because Rod played it at the highest level. I'll just never be able to see it that way. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's just we just have two very different perspectives. So uh it's just that you can be you can be naturally intelligent or you know, and I'm not saying Lyle's not, but when you just got that innate football IQ about you, that can take you a long way. So I Jordan, I probably spend more time than anybody in the market. And trust me, I'm not tooting my own horn here. I'm saying what a sicko I am. I spend more time than anybody in the market probably talking about center just because, like, it's one of those deals It's you know, you don't worry about it until it's like your hot water heater. You don't think about it until it stops working. You don't think about your center until that dude gets hurt, and you're like, dude, who's our backup center? Like, yeah, you, you can be in a world of hurt really quick if you don't have a quality backup center. Yeah, yeah. Um... I think it was OU, right? That uh, the the Connor Robertson came in and yeah. played. He he wasn't he wasn't too bad at all. No, not at all. It man. also also helped that uh, he had the bye week before playing Houston, so Majors was able to come back. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He came back. Okay. Jay yeah. came back for the Houston game. Yeah. Didn't, Tennessee didn't under NCAA investigation, multiple sports. Look, man, the NCAA. <laughs> Is out there? They're starting to uh, to crack down. There's actually a uh, I'm not going to say his name. Um, there's a player at A and M being investigated right now by the NCAA, and the NCAA is actually starting to get into NIL investigations. Um, and actually, it seems like it's kind of a recent thing. Um, I have some sources in the NIL space, and um, you know, you you talk to them every every few days or now, and. It really does sound like the investigations are starting to, uh, like the NCAA is actually kind of, kind of starting to do their jobs. Um, and yeah, I mean, more, more and more investigations are coming out each day. So interested to see exactly um, what it is if that's tied into Nico. I know that was like the worst kept secret. Uh, yeah, I'm however the hell you say his name, um, his deal. So. I don't know. Uh, isn't Florida also getting looked at right now? Yeah, because of the Jaden Rashada stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> again, shocker. The bro, listen to this. Listen to this. So, Jaden Rashada's deal at Florida was three years for eight million, right? 
three years for eight million. Um, part of the deal was also that he, him and his family would be given a house and a car. And whenever they were to move into Miami in January or uh, Florida in January of uh, shit, that would have been 2023. They're supposed to be able to move into the house and the car. So whenever the Rashada pulls up, Rashada family pulls up and Florida doesn't have a house or car yet. And the contract they come with that is supposed to say eight million for three years says less than eight million for three years. Uh, you know, tensions get hot, and that's why he got out of his letter of intent. Mm-hmm. Now, Lagway, DJ Lagway's deal, I was told, is also eight for three. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way. There's no way. That family just saw what happened with the Rashada family. And they're about to walk in thinking it's going to be different, maybe, <laughs> or that Florida is actually going to have eight M's this time. So I don't know. Um, I know Florida, they're getting looked at. I assume uh, it's going to be involved with the Rashada stuff. I'm assuming Lagway is going to be getting a pretty deep look into his stuff as well. Um, but I mean, dude, I, I I don't know. The NCAA, like, they, they got to figure out. You can't just, like, pick and choose who to investigate right yeah. now. Uh, you got to come up with the rules and, and actually enforce those rules <laughs> or something, man. Like, I, I've said it from day one. I'm all for players getting paid. Um, the amount of money that these schools make off the players is still is ridiculous, even with NIL. Um, and I've always been for them getting paid. I, I don't want to put a cap on it either. Uh, you can't yeah. tell someone how much they can make. But at, at the end of the day, like before they rolled NIL out, they, they really should have used their brains to come up with some form of. Instead, they did nothing. Yeah. I'm not saying like what they We're did. We're going to do NIL, it. guys. What are the rules? I don't know. There are no rules. It's like, no, they're like the IRS. Like, we're not going to tell you. You have to know exactly what the rules are. And when we show up, you better recite them bitches perfectly. Isn't that exactly what this is? Like, this is the equivalent of getting audited. You're like, I thought I did that right, but maybe I didn't. Dude, it is. I Like, if you're Florida or, I guess, Tennessee now, like, do you even take this stuff seriously? Like, it's, what are y'all going to do to us? Like, it really is. It's like the substitute teacher threatening to write you up. Like, yeah, that, there's no there's no way that's going to hold up in court. Like, <laughs> do whatever you want. Like, it doesn't it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like, I, it's just I'm so I'm so ready for for big time college football to just break away from the NCAA and do its own thing, which is what it needs to be. Do we have NIL deals for basketball and baseball and women's basketball? Yeah, there are. Is there, are there NIL deals in volleyball? Yeah, but Jordan, you know this better than a lot of people. Those deals are peanuts compared to what is going on in football right now. And it, it's two totally different worlds, yet you're you're let you're trying to legislate it. The, you're trying to legislate big time college football. The same way you would legislate equestrian, it, there's on, on nobody on planet Earth can assume that, that that's even remotely the same because it's not. It's two completely different worlds. It needs to be separate. It needs to happen at some point. And the longer you don't do it, you're just delaying the inevitable. Yeah, and I mean, 
I don't know. Um, I kind of hate. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm really interested to see the future it's going. I kind of hate like all the, I don't know, like people just kind of even talking about it. Like during the realignment shit with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the Big 10 and everyone's like predicting conferences. Like yeah. I could give a shit about that. Like I'm not reading any of that. <laughs> my my whole thing was like none of this matters until like the conferences come out and say this is what our conferences are. Boom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could give a shit what someone on Twitter is predicting they think the conferences are going to be, right? It's kind of the same thing for the future of college football and the NCAA in the conference. Like I really don't care what people have to say, but yeah. There are so many different ways they could go about it. And it's like, I don't even know where to begin about what it could look like. Like maybe a mega conference, a, a new NCAA, a whole separate governing body for just uh, football. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. But something needs to change. Um, it, it's just like, and at the risk of offending somebody, sorry, but this is what I'm going to compare it to. It's no different than major metropolitan areas dealing with, uh, dealing with like a homeless crisis, people experiencing homelessness or the situation in our state going on at the border right now. Everybody agrees that it's broken, that it's not working, that it needs to be fixed. It's just that nobody can agree on how to fix it is the problem. And that's where it turns into political pissing contests and nothing ever gets solved. So I'm kind of with you, Jordan. I'm like, when y'all figure out a way to do this where a reasonable human being can understand it, let me know. Until then, I'm going to be over here playing in my sandbox and doing whatever until y'all just figure it out. Yeah. Damn, Tennessee football broke 200 rules. Hmm. I wonder if they like, were doing the Harbaugh and buying burgers. Uh, I, well, I, I got to see these rules here. Josh Heupel is the head coach of Tennessee, so I'm sure there was a lot of burgers involved because <laughs> – I don't know if you remember you were you weren't even born when Josh Heupel played at OU. I forgot. <clears throat> Josh Heupel in twenty twenty four looks like he ate two thousand Josh Heupel. <laughs> Just to be honest, I've gained weight in the last twenty years too, but I'm not making millions of dollars a year and trying to be the face of a college football program. Just saying, if I was, I'd probably get my fat ass on the track every now and then. I'd probably make sure I was in shape and present. Shit, if, if my fat ass is making millions, I'm not getting on any track. I'm getting liposuction or something. <laughs> yeah, I am. You don't need to do all that. Um, Jeff, Jeremy Curley at Hutto, why didn't Texas get in on him? Uh, he was under the radar. Just He was one of those deals where, especially back then, you had to have a really good idea what you were going to do with like a five foot nine, 170 pound, even though he was damn good. You had to have a really defined idea what you were going to do with that guy. And you know, I don't think Texas really did at the time. Um, and Jeremy went to the perfect spot for him, man. TCU at the time, you know, they they had an offense. They had a role for him, a uh, perfect spot for him. He could be punt returner. Um, would I love to see Jeremy Curley at Texas? Yeah, but he, I really do think he went to the perfect place for him at TCU. Yeah. As a uh, as a 49ers fan, I'll never forget the like season and a half he gave us where he was like our leading. He led us in like every single receiver stat, and then we cut him because <laughs> well, that was like that was like in the he was shit, dude. I think he was like year one and t- 
the first year one and two of the Shanahan era at uh, in San Fran. Um, and he wore number 17. So I'll, uh, I don't miss the era of 49ers teams he played on, but uh, he was like the lone bright spot for – a lot of games during his time there. He, I believe he was on the 2-14, and 14, one of the 2-14 and 14 teams. So I think we had two of them. Jeremy Curley played for the San Francisco 49ers in 2016. Uh, yeah. yeah. Damn, he had a good 64. He caught 64 balls that year. He had a career year with the Niners. Yeah, and we he cut his ass. catches. Almost well, dude, you, yards. We didn't have jack shit on that team. Like that, I couldn't even tell. I think Marquise Goodwin might have been another one of the receivers. I believe he was on the team still, or then. Oh, uh, but outside of Marquise Goodwin, Jeremy Curley, uh, I think Kendrick Bourne might have been on the roster. He was an undrafted free agent. I, I can't think of uh, any other receivers. Hey, just off the top, Jordan. That was the two and fourteen year, and that wasn't year one, year two of Shanahan. That was the last year of Chip Kelly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I got it all mixed up. And I'll tell you what, dude. Chip Kelly was a dog shit coach for the 49ers. <laughs> he was amazing compared to the guy before him. Do you even remember who was before Chip Kelly in San Francisco? It was Jim Tom Sula. It was Jim Tom Sula. <laughs> they made a D-line coach in the NFL go from – y'all, listen to this shit. Listen to this shit. The 49ers, Jim Harbaugh leaves, right? Because him and Balky, the GM, get into it. The GM's a jackass. He tore the whole thing down. It was kind of the reason everything fell apart. So whenever Harbaugh leaves, instead of just cleaning house, they're like, yeah, we're going to keep Balky because he's, you know, not that bad when he sucks. <laughs> he decides, he decides, eh, I don't need a head coach. I'm going to just make Jim Harbaugh's D-line coach the head coach. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. Jim Tom Sula literally went – from no head coaching experience at high school, college, NFL, not, not even coordinator experience, to being the D-line coach of the 49ers to the 49ers head coach. It was fucking ridiculous. Yeah, he did fart at press conferences. Like, I've never had uh, the team I root for be represented so poorly by a head coach. Um, that's what I'm oh, telling you, man. Head. Like, if I was, I would not be, like, look, should I be more presentable in my job now? Probably, but you know what? I like wearing long-sleeve dry-fit shirts and, at 40, I'm not a big fan of collars anymore, and I like to eat what I want to eat. So, you know what? I'm not worried about being presentable. I have a face for radio. I understand that. But, like, if I was making millions of dollars and I'm an NFL head coach, I would at least try to keep myself in half-ass shape and not honk my body trumpet during press conferences. Like, that's just – you're just a flawed person if you do that. Like, walk out of the room. Like, pretend you got a phone call and yeah. then go out in the hallway <clears> – <throat> Just snap one off and then go back in the room. Like nobody's, everybody's none the wiser. Or time it up with a cough, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I can backfire though. I can backfire yeah, very easily. It, it could, but man, uh, we were we were driving home. <laughs> we went to we had to run into Braunfels last night to run an errand real quick. So we ate dinner in New Braunfels. We're driving home, and we've got a we went to Lupe Tortilla. So we've got like a box of leftovers in the car. You know, like you put like all the you know beans and rice and stuff and peppers and fajitas and it's gonna kind of marinate and may not be the most refreshing smell. And my daughter, my five year old, I don't know where she got this, but she just goes, "It smells like somebody ran over a raccoon." And I'm like, 
how do you know what a dead raccoon <laughs> just randomly that was hilarious but i don't know just, we got i didn't think we'd talk about jim tom sula farting during press conferences but that's where that's where we went today yeah jordan those 49ers were bad dude the two and 14 yeah that's the thing dude i'm i am so it, bro, it listen the 49ers win two weeks from now i'm acting an ass on social media right <laughs> And if anybody tries to say anything, no bandwagon, why are you even a 49ers fan? You live in Texas, whatever. I'm coming with receipts. Like, I got photos of me in, like, 2014 wearing 49ers hoodies. I'm with the smoke. I'm ratioing everyone who tries to call me a bandwagon or anything. Um, hey, because, would you like to know who the quarterback's coach was for that uh, that 49ers team, by the way? Nah. But if anyone tries to call me a bandwagon, like, they, they're getting ratioed. Like, it, most people, they, even Cowboys fans, like, do y'all even know what it's like to win two games in one singular season? It's horrible. I mean, all, all those teams, and they also uh, set an NFL record for most games lost in a season by three or less points. And Kyle Shanahan's first season, they lost, like, seven or eight games by three or less points. They won the last five in a row because uh, it was after uh, they traded for porn star Jimmy, and we thought we had our franchise quarterback. And uh, he went five of uh, he went five and zero oh in his first five uh, starts. So it, it's been a long time coming. I'm hoping they can finally beat Mahomes, man. It, 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 if they go up ten in the fourth quarter, San Fran does. I'm, I'll probably turn off the game, and because not because I'll think they want it, because I'm scared of what will happen when you give Mahomes the ball back. So. Yeah. Uh, oh man. Uh, so oh, so that was uh, the sixth man. That sixteen season was eventful. I totally. I I guess I just totally blocked that out because Cowboys actually were good that year. That was Dak's rookie year. Uh, I forgot that was Kaepernick's last year in uh, in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing. Like whenever, so whenever they decided they're going to move away from Chip Kelly. Uh, that's when the GM kind of pulled his head out of his ass and was like, okay, I need to actually fire a GM and get a new one, not bulky. <laughs> so they cleaned house of everyone after 2016. And then 2017, Shanny and uh, John Lynch came in. Yeah, And that, that offseason was pretty much like they, outside of Joe Staley, everyone was gone. Um, they yeah, everyone was gone. Like they, they cut ties with Kaepernick and that whole era completely, just because they needed a fresh restart. Yeah, but, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at their roster. So the quarterbacks in 16 for the 49ers, it was Blaine Gabbert, Kaepernick, and Christian Ponder. None of those guys were back the next year. Yeah, I'm sorry, boys. I was going to give you all a few more minutes before I jumped on, but I could not sit idly by and just let a 49ers fan say it's been a long time coming since his team has been in the Super Bowl when it literally happened four years ago when my team hasn't been to a conference championship game since 1996. What's what's going on here? Don't tell me about misery, Niners fan. Okay, y'all, you chose to be a Cowboys fan just like I chose to be a 49ers fan. No, my dad chose it for me. Yeah, he grew up a Cowboys fan. You act like that. you're not a grown-ass man. You can change it. Don't say you can't. You can change no, it. You're, you're a bad fan. I will call you a bandwagoner if you're talking about changing teams like that. You 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 stick with the team that, uh, right, well, that you grew up rooting for. I meant long time coming as it's been a long time coming being a, being a 49ers fan. They've come a long way since... 
because it started in 2013. Last year, they were cool they like this. The conference title game, they made it you a long way. way. Hey, but you know who we had the? You know whose ass we had to whoop at their own stadium to get there? What Dallas. Ah, I really don't want to hear shit. What year? Last year. We beat uh, Dallas in the playoffs on the way to the NFC Championship. Oh yeah, in your in your stadium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two years ago. Oh, yeah. Our yeah, yeah, no. So the whole right, argument right, here right. is that I've been more miserable than you and you were making my argument for me. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah. Because hey. your team keeps kicking my team's ass every time they play. Jeff okay, and I what? as Cowboys you, fans. What do you what do you you want me to pat you on the back for <laughs> like no, being just, worse at picking teams hey, than me? <laughs> like, uh, man. I this is the benefit to uh to being a Cowboys fan and being as old as I am. I uh I kind of grew up for the first few years of my football viewing consciousness thinking it was just a rite of passage that the Cowboys just kicked the 49ers ass on their way to Super Bowls. Yeah. Well I'm sorry uh, you don't know that feeling, BK. Yeah. How does it BK? I'm like 99% sure in my 21 years of life, the Texans have more playoff wins than the Cowboys. Uh, I think it's the same or close. What? Yeah, I think it. I mean, either way, embarrassing. Like the Texans have been to a conference championship game. No, they haven't. They have doesn't, not. Doesn't doesn't CJ Stroud have as many playoff they made, wins? They won the Sean Watson year. I thought they. Yeah, made they did. Wins. They did. And the Chiefs I, ran out of fireworks because they nope. blew a twenty-seven Take, point lead. The, the Texans Take were in around. the. I promise. I I did radio in Houston for yeah, two years. You're, you're, right, you're right. You're right. You're right. Because yeah. the Titans divisional, played them. Divisional game. Yeah, yeah, it was the Titans who played him in 2019. But um, doesn't C.J. Stroud have the same amount of playoff wins as Dak? Dak's got two and Stroud has one. So uh, oh, sorry, this, sorry, at, sorry, at this time sorry. next year, it... Uh, hey, hey, you see CB's comment? That's right, that's right. No, it's five to four? Yeah, hmm. check the score. Okay. So, hey, yeah. Did you know that the Texans, have a, the Texans have a ring of honor? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's um, it's got Andre Johnson. It's got J.J. Watt, who got inducted this year. It's got it's Lovey got, Smith for bringing him C.J. Stroud. It should he should have a statue. Ring of Honor is not enough <laughs> for winning the Colts game. <laughs> for winning the Colts game, everyone yeah. was dunking on that dude, myself included. Uh, that that just goes to show you how little we know about quarterbacks in college football and what they're going to be in the pros. Because everybody in Houston wanted Bryce Young, and everybody was devastated that they won that week 18 game and blew their chance at Bryce Young. And now, yeah, their future's bright, and the team that drafted Bryce Young has no idea where it's going. Yeah, yeah man. It, uh, it's really weird how some of those drafts have worked for the Texans where, I mean, you can argue that it didn't work out for the better. Like the, the 06 draft was one of those. Remember, like, they won a game late in the year where it was like, oh, we need to tank for Reggie Bush. And they ended up drafting Mario Williams number one, or and you know probably, and I'll I'll go ahead and light up the chat and leave it for you guys. Maybe they should have taken Vince Young with the number one pick. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's an alternate universe that I would love to know about, right? Like Mario Williams had the best pro career. Uh, maybe Reggie Bush did, but Mario Williams was a better pro than Vince Young was. But you you always wonder what would have happened if Vy ended up in Houston because. Yeah. Mario Williams being good didn't matter because the Texans could never find a quarterback. And could Vince have worked without Jeff Fisher? We we will always wonder. I wonder, would that have been the best thing for Vince Young or would it have been the absolute worst thing for Vince Young? Yeah, being that close to home. 
Yeah. It's, you I mean, never know. I know. I know, like, for Deontay Foreman, that was probably maybe the worst place he could have gone right out of the gate was to mm-hmm. Houston. By the way, Deontay Foreman's still making money. Still is. He's playing well. Yeah, you, you have guys like Jamal Shedd who, when they come home to play, they dominate. You have guys like Tyrese Hunter. Uh, when they go up to their hometown, they play like shit. So some guys are great, and some guys are not great when they are around their friends and family like that. In, in Tyrese's defense, BK, he could have dropped 40 that night, and I don't think it would have mattered. <laughs> no, but it would have been a big game where Tyrese Hunter showed up to play, and that would have mattered to me because I'm, I'm still waiting on more of those. You know, he only had one turnover last night. It's good. It just was a god-awful turnover. Yeah, in the last 30 seconds of a tie game when Texas should have been holding the ball for the last shot, he just said, here you go, Houston, you can have this back. Yeah, that hurts. Trey, you doing all right? I am good. Speaking of Vince Young not getting drafted by the Texans, selfishly speaking, that may have gotten me back on board with the – Pro football franchise in Houston as an NFL bastard who used to root for the root for the Oilers and now has nobody, but didn't happen. So next time maybe. Mm. We we have room on the Cowboys bandwagon, don't we, BK? Or oh, be, be a be a Texans fan. Like they're, they're so likable. CJ Stroud is very likable to me. Uh he also the Texans know they have a franchise quarterback. Do you know how many teams like would kill to know that they have a franchise quarterback? The Texans figure that out, or they they knew it one thousand percent, like by like week seven. That's kind of unheard of for a rookie. Um, so, I would definitely, if I was choosing between the Texans and Cowboys, the next five years for sure. Sure. Hey, for Sam, Texans for Sam are a fun team. You know what I remember about Joe Montana's last days with the 49ers? I remember an NFC Championship Jerry game when Leonard Marshall broke yeah. his ass in half. Low bar, and I wish he would have finished the job. What? I didn't hear y'all. Y'all were talking over each other, so I didn't hear a yeah, damn word either one of y'all said. Yeah, same here. You guys, you guys were talking about two completely different things at the same time, and I don't think y'all realized you were both talking. So I, I have no clue what just happened there. I, I did just say, Jeff. Any, I, I said that Sam in the chat mentions Joe Montana's last days as a 49er were great. No, the only thing I remember about Joe Montana's last days is when Leonard Marshall broke his ass in half in, a, in an NFC Championship game, and I really wish he would have finished the job, and that would have been the last we saw of Joe Montana. And, Trey, what did you say? Uh, I said that the Texans definitely have a fun team and the better owner, although that's a very low bar. The problem is, is that your sports allegiance really forms when you're a kid. Yeah. And I see a lot of... Now, I'm not much older than or not much younger than this. Yeah, not much younger than this. But I see a lot of Texans face painters in their 50s. I'm like, how fucking empty is your life? You still need to lean this hard into a a new pro sports team when you are already well into adulthood. You know that. uh, So basically, Trey, if you see like the, you know, the 50, 60 something guy at an Oklahoma City Thunder game. You know, maybe wearing a, I don't know, a Danilo Gallinari jersey. I don't know who's on the Thunder anymore. Like, you're you're probably going to look at that guy like, you went wrong somewhere in life. I'm not sure where, but you zigged when you should have zagged. To each their own, but yeah, you you missed the boat somewhere to where that that is, your priorities are all out of whack. Where as a full-fledged adult that you 
decided to lean this hard to your love for a new pro sports team that you're wearing jerseys to the game now. Yes, yeah. that's a problem. Mm. Yeah, I don't tell anyone how to fan. You fan however you want to fan, but if you paint your face to go to a game, you're a loser. <laughs> you, you can do what, it. And you're a loser. Um, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll. I'll roll with you on that one. BK, aren't you uh, painting your face orange to go to ne- next year's Texas OU game? Isn't that now, part of the get up? That was not part of the get up. No, sir. <laughs> you wish it was. But if I did, I would be a loser, literally, because I lost a bet and had to do that. Yeah. BK, how do you feel about the personalized jersey? Like if you get a Cowboys jersey with like your name on it. I'm not a jersey guy in general. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is it weirder to have that, or is it weirder to have somebody else's name on your back? I think you also you have to pay extra for the custom one. So it's yeah. like you're paying extra to be a goofy. Like I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> put my name on the back of a jersey or something. Like that shit's weird to me. Yeah. yeah. B- BK, your question is uh, needs a clarification. It depends on whether or not we're in prison. Because if you're in prison, you definitely don't want another man's name on your back. Mm. You're his bitch. Yeah, but and I think that the worst example of people who have their own names written on the backs of jerseys are children, because at that point you're just providing a pedophile cheat code, aren't you? I never looked at it that way, Trey. But yes, and and man, you guys are making this is like the most profound episode of Trey and BK ever. Like there's a lot of. A lot of knowledge being dropped on this show. And as I sign off, an owner, Jeff, it's a low bar. As I sign off, um, yeah, Ricardo, people that had the Texas football jerseys with the number five with core values on the back during the uh, Charlie Strong era, probably a move that they'd like to have back. That was people did that like rooting for Texas. I thought that was all Texas haters who did that. I saw it with my own eyes, BK. Oh, with my own eyes. That's something I would wear is like, uh, you guys remember how bad we were when we had this guy as our head coach? Like, that's a bit right there. I didn't realize people actually did that as a yeah. sign of support. There's going to be like students at Texas like, oh, nice, a B. John jersey. And they're going to be like, who's core values? Who Who is core values? And some dude who graduated in 2014 is going to be like, motherfucker, <laughs> you know who you're talking to? His name uh, was Corey Valuez. Yeah, he went, and, he, and his P was fan. Oh no, wrong coach. Yeah, <laughs> let's, get P, let's get our P charts and our core values straight, fellas. Goodness gracious! Thank, Thank God you. when we talk about Texas football now, it's just about football. Yes. All right. Oh, the, the, occasional, the occasional monkey attack too, but that hasn't happened <laughs> in a while, I guess. That's good. Yeah. It's, hey, it's wait, we're, we're overdue. Uh, something bad happening. No, we're not. Months. No. <laughs> Oh, no, when's the next monkey attack? The whole horns down bit a couple weeks ago. We're good for like two years now, right? Okay, good. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. All right, you boys have a good show. Great job, guys. I'll see y'all.